What's up, everybody? Welcome to IGN Game Scoop. I'm your host, Damon. I'm joined right now by Greg, Hello. Alfredo, and hey, Justin. Scoop. We've got a really big show for you today. So big, in fact, that we uh, need to bring in relief, relief <laughs> guests to talk about all of our topics. We're going to be talking about the return of a classic 16-bit uh, cult favorite, maybe. We've got to talk about the latest Nintendo news. But first, last week, late last week, the newest Call of Duty was announced. This year's Call of Duty was actually leaked. As happens every year, as is tradition, <laughs> it was leaked ahead of time. Call of Duty and Assassin's Creed. Call of Duty Advanced Warfare. Oh, that's really clever! <laughs> I came up with that. I actually thought it would be better to show the actual full thing with the logo, but whatever. We'll go. Eric's a very busy man, our, the guy who makes our art. This is what we got. So you'll just <laughs> critique it out and it's going to change it. We complimented it, you're still like, well, it's not as good as I wanted it, but Eric did all right for what he could do. That's, yeah, that's pretty much some of it. Spot on, spot on. Call of Duty Advanced Warfare, we're seeing the trailer here. Uh, this is another sort of futuristic shooter that's going to be, right? That your soldiers have these exosuits, you can jump high, they have superhuman strength. The sequel to Elysium. And it starts... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it, it stars Kevin Spacey. Mm. Jack Bauer himself. Yep. I think for the first time I'm actually going to play... <laughs> for the first time in a long time I'm going to play a Call of Duty single player game. Right. So you didn't play Ghosts. I have it. It's, the thing about... I think uh, with me and a lot of... A majority of like Call of Duty players, like we're the kind of people... The hardcore, just the hardcore fan base. We get in, the first thing you want to do is unlock everything, prestige right away. And I feel like... If they want those people to care about single player, then give us a reason why to play single player. A tie-in? Yeah. Like, if I beat these levels, do I get you know XP towards my character? Can I prestige that that's way cool in some idea. way? That's a good idea. And is that, is that a feature that they've announced for this? Or is that just no. you? That's just me just being hopeful. Yeah. But what I'm saying is that I will now probably play the single player because, yeah. uh, you know, because of someone like Kevin Spacey. So your first reaction is positive. Yep. You're interested. One of our viewers wasn't so hot on it. This mm. is Michael Jones. Michael Jones. He says, I enjoy Call of Duty, but with the Advanced Warfare, it seems like a Black Ops 2 reboot. Does Sledgehammer and Activision actually expect us to purchase this unoriginal storyline? Mm. Yes, they do yeah. expect you to purchase <laughs> yeah. it. And, and you probably, you probably will, will, Michael Jones. <laughs> I think, I mean, the way I look at Call of Duty now is the way I look at NBA 2K, where it's just like, it's going to be, you know what you're going to get. It's the same thing. It's just a matter of just like, all right, there's going to be small changes and variations, and whether or not... Me personally, I think it's going to be good or not depends on how well the mechanics work, you know, that year. Right. Like if they work well, then you know it'll be good, like Black Ops. If it doesn't work so well, then a lot of people won't like it, like Ghost. Well, yeah. But so the dog? you say a lot of people <laughs> didn't like Ghost. Uh, is it just Ghost or Ghosts? Ghosts. Plural, right? Yeah. I think it's Ghosts. Yeah. Uh, but we know now that that's the best-selling game on both the Xbox One and PlayStation yeah. Four, right? I mean, we, 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 we talk about a lot. Is there franchise fatigue in Call of Duty? Is is it peak over? Is it going to have a slow decline? But it seems it seems to be as popular as ever. I mean, this is the same thing that happens every year. The game gets announced. Everyone's super excited. It gets to review. People, oh, it was all right, blah, blah, blah. And then they get super excited again. No, I mean, I don't think... I think the review of Ghosts was pretty bad. Like, there are all the memes. The dog, the well, fish. Okay, yeah, yeah, the fish AI <laughs> and all Because it was that. part of the Xbox One reveal, which yeah. is already sort of the calamity. Sure. Yes, but this, I think the hype level for this is already higher. I mean, Kevin Spacey's a huge deal. Like, we've had big stars in video games before, and they do, they often do a great job these days. Like, Ellen Page did a really awesome job in mm -hmm. uh, Beyond Two Souls. Um, but, like, Kevin Spacey's an Oscar winner and an Emmy winner. Like, he's 
an incredibly, like, one of the most famous actors in the entire world, unlike other people that do kind of video game work. Like, and he's also never been hotter. Like, House of Cards is, like, the hottest thing on TV right now. Sure. Um, I think not even on TV. <laughs> <laughs> I think no, it's, it's. I mean, yeah. I'm totally, totally excited for it. Like, like, it gets me hyped for it. I've skipped. What was the last Call of Duty I played? Uh, Black Ops One. Okay. And I'm, I'm actually the opposite of Alfredo. Where like, I'll dip my toes into multiplayer, but I mainly just kind of go yep. through the story, and then that's all I do. And maybe I'll do, you know, whatever, like 20 multiplayer matches, and I've had enough. And so I'm totally down to like learn about his character and you know what their sort of Sledgehammer's vision for like the future world is. See, I'm the same way where I just jump in and play the story. I usually don't even turn it on. Maybe now that I'm a Titanfall expert, thanks to Alfredo, I will this time around to see if I can hang. But like, um, my concern is that I'm going to jump in and it's going to be too little Kevin Spacey, right? We're not probably going to be playing as Kevin Spacey. No, I'm just saying, we don't know not. officially. I'm just saying we probably won't. Oh, but now, uh, now, now, I, now that's all I want to do. I mean, imagine that. if he was there at the no, show like, time. Kevin Spacey's giving that speech and then the camera pans around behind his head and then yeah. you go into his head and you're Kevin Spacey. <laughs> he's I thought, but then he's going to hear that line. He's like, and that's where I come in. And then takes off the glass, jumps, turns off his suit. Because he's, he's an older guy, but he has this exosuit, yeah. so he can yeah. do it every once. But I mean, that's my thing. Is I'm going to get, like, what, yeah. a, a combined total of 45 minutes of cutscenes, sure. and then I'll be like, it'll, I'm a, I don't want it to get to... I mean, the gameplay's got to be there for me to finish it, because I always want, you know, especially in Call of Duty, with the story, like Black Ops 2 was the last one I played through, I didn't play Ghost Storyline. You know, you're playing through, and it's just like... Running, shooting, 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 just to get to that next cutscene to see yeah. what happens to these people. Rodriguez, get over there and do this. So that's what every Call of Duty I campaign is. Of <laughs> uh, I thought we didn't we know, um, or maybe it came out in like when it, the Amazon page went up and stuff that he plays the villain. Kevin Spacey's the villain in the game. I thought uh, that's probably true. Okay, You're probably true. He sounds like a bad guy. So I think I, I'm excited about this. I mean, we're going to learn more. But the same as a game like Watch Dogs. Like, I feel like it's relevant to what's happening in the world right now. Like, Kevin Spacey runs this uh, uh, private military corporation. Sure. Um, and that's relevant to what's happening in the real world. It seems like if you take, like, our version of the world now and look at it through, like, a funhouse mirror of, like, if things go super shitty for, like, the next, you know, what would, couple decades... Like, this Call of Duty world seems relatively plausible. Like, it actually has kind of a social message. Um, it's Sledgehammer's first Call of Duty that they've made on their own, so I'm excited to see. I feel like they feel like they have something to prove. Um, and so I totally believe in, like, their vision to, like, put their stamp on this franchise. And right. they're like, nah, we can do it just nah, as good awesome. as the other two teams. Is Michael Jones on to anything when he says it seems like a Black Ops 2 reboot? That was another one that was a sort of near-future setting, a futuristic Call of Duty. I mean, I think it's just the mech suits overall kind of change it up. I mean, honestly, personally, for me, if they didn't have mech suits, I don't think I'd be playing this COD. I mean, just because of the fact I played so much Titanfall, and I'm used to moving around the map so fast, so quick. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, COD Ghosts, you move around pretty quick, too. But, I mean, just the fact that I could wall run here and do there. I went back to Ghosts, and I was like, this is just too slow-paced for me. So the fact that it has mech suits for me, I'm like, okay... I'm pretty sure, like, I could traverse the land, like, in cool different ways. Mm-hmm. And, like, it does kind of have a Black Ops feel. But, I mean, what, what are they going to do? Go back to the past yeah. at that yeah. point? Like, We're all still so sick of World War II, right? Like, there's nowhere they can go. They're either current, they're either past, well, yeah. Or <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's Wolfenstein. There's, not, there's Nazi mechs there. We're going to get to play Wolfenstein soon. Oh, can't wait. Yeah. I'm surprised that I haven't seen more comparisons to Titanfall. Um... I, I was worried, you know, the internet being the internet, I thought people would be like, oh, look at how they're blatantly copying Titanfall, and I would have to, you know, explain, no, like, games are in development for years, and they've they had, probably had this vision for mm-hmm. mech suits for years, but it seems like most people kind of get that, and they understand, for once. 
Did the exosuits give you ideas for what that could mean for a multiplayer? I mean, pr- probably yeah. Multiplayer. Probably well, just, just saying, like, <laughs> that could be, that I mean, could be ca- a <laughs> game changer. <laughs> Gosh, go, you always do this, by the way? Yeah, sometimes. Okay. If you can't see at home, I've stuck my laces into the metal holes of my shoe. And they stay there? They stay there? Like, just, right now, I fuck. Well, no, because it's like it's poking my foot. So it's kind of like a nice little treat. Or I'm like massaging my foot with acupuncture. Treat. <laughs> Try it. <laughs> Let me poke your feet. <laughs> anyway, welcome to Shoe Scoop. <laughs> Exo suits in multiplayer could be fun. I think it'd be a lot of fun. I think it would change the way COD's going to be played, um, which I think it's it's a good way to. I think it's a good thing. So do you think I never played nearly as much Call of Duty multiplayer as you? But the, part of the whole deal is you're always like glued to the ground, right? Like mm-hmm. if they change that, like I don't know, will it feel weird? Will it still feel like what I mean, defines like Call of Duty? I, I, don't, if, I don't really think so. I came from the days where like playing Halo and playing like Rainbow Six, where right. there wasn't sprinting, and then COD came out, and you know you were sprinting around everywhere. Or like the later iterations of COD came out, and they implemented sprinting. And I was one of those guys. I was like, no, sprinting is horrible. Sure. Like I'm just gonna go back and play Rainbow Six. But I mean, you know, now I can't play without Sprint, you know, and mm-hmm. I feel like Titanfall took that to another level, and I feel like COD, um, at least with this iteration of COD, they're going to try and push that, w- the way FPS players move in games even further. Mm-hmm. Now, Call of Duty Advanced Warfare is developed by Sledgehammer. Sledgehammer! Games, one of three teams that are uh, currently working on Call of Duty games. Uh, they actually helped out with Modern Warfare 3, I think. They've been on the series for a while yeah. doing you know, multiplayer maps and stuff like that. But this is their first game that they... Yeah. This is their first standalone. Yeah. We're, we're in charge. But before they were even called in to work on Modern Warfare 3, they were apparently working on this third-person Call of Duty game set during Vietnam War. They worked on it for, what, six to eight months and then had the 15-minute demo up. Uh, what do you think about third, a third-person Call of Duty? Oh, I think that would just... I don't really think it would... I don't know. It'd be nice to play for a minute or two, but I feel like... <laughs> well, yeah, it was only 15 minutes long, so... <laughs> yeah. this, is what, this is what I was touching on a second ago, is like, what defines Call of Duty? Mm-hmm. Like, if it's a third-person Call of Duty, then it's some other game that they've put the Call of Duty name on. Like, I don't know, is it the horror of war and trying to illustrate that, or is it really fast-paced multiplayer? Like, to me, it's like, it is that first-person experience. Aim down the sights, like, not that that didn't exist before, you know, COD, but... That was the game that really, you know, aimed on the site, sprint, all that sort of thing is, is, is baked into, like, the lifeblood of what Call of Duty is. And a third-person Call of Duty is, to me, another game that they're putting the Call of Duty name on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, just think about it. When you play, like, for, like third-person, like, with Gears, you kind of just stand around a corner and use a third-person to kind of peek around. I feel like it changed the way COD would be played too much. Sure. You're not a big first-person shooter fan, Greg. Right, but third-person action games are usually where I end up being excited. And you're a fan of Dead Space. Yeah. And uh, the co-founder of Sledgehammer Games helped create Dead Space, and he said, we are definitely going for some Dead Space moments in this mm. third-person Call of Duty game. So, a lot of worms coming out of the walls. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> right. Yeah. Brutal dismemberments, yeah. yeah. Oh, sure, that could totally happen. I don't know, that could have been something that you might have been interested in. No, yeah. I mean, that was the thing. For me, when they were like third-person, that actually was like, oh, okay, that would be more exciting. Instead of worms, it's Viet Cong. It's true. Busting out. You, just, you, you can hear them, they're crawling through the walls. Yep. It's uh, on a spaceship. Because it was said during the yeah. You could be down in the tunnels, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. You could totally create some scary moments yeah. out of that. I don't know. All right, so we're feeling pretty positive on Call of Duty at this point. The, this year's Call of Duty. Yeah. And As opinion, always, it's can't wait to be here a year from now. And you're like, well, it didn't pan out, but this next one sounds cool. <laughs> I mean, for me, Call is just, it's Cod. 
It is what it is. I, I, I know what to expect from it. I just hope the mechanics work really well this year. Okay. Mm. Today, do you like Titanfall more than Call of Duty? Yeah, definitely. So I'm not going to call it COD. I just said I can't get, I get behind that. <laughs> what about your COD piece? <laughs> That's a different thing. It's not a Call of Duty piece, although maybe it should be. Uh, ah. So yeah, Titanfall, Titanfall over Call of Duty for you today. Yeah, definitely. Interesting. Well, we'll see if this year's Call of Duty Advanced Warfare can change pull that. you back in. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. I'm going to dismiss you. In just Finally. A moment. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back to talk about Nintendo, the latest Nintendo news. Right back. I love how Mario's like looking for handouts. <laughs> He's like, oh, oh, Mario! Oh, wait, oh. I wish I had my wallet. I want to put a dollar bill. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome hey, back. True. Welcome back to Game Sweep, everybody. I'm joined now by Colin, Jose, and Brian, and we got to talk about today's Nintendo news. Uh, Nintendo has announced its annual uh, an annual operating loss for the third consecutive year in a row. In the past year, they've sold 2.7 million Wii U consoles, uh, making a total of 6.1. We used sold. That's less than the seven million that PS4 has sold just since last November. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 3DS business is doing much better, but still coming in below their estimates. Okay. Now the question that you uh, posed during our morning meeting today, Colin, is why does Satoru Iwata still have a job? Yeah, it's a good question, right? If he was in a Western company, the assumption would be, you know, in a, in a, in a less traditional company, in a, in a more Brash company that might you know be eager to to make some cash and and fix things. He would be gone, long gone. Um, and it, it begs the question of, you know, what kind of support does he have with the shareholders and and all those kinds of things. And I can answer that question for you. Okay. I, I pulled some numbers out of the shareholders, the shareholder, uh, you know, or the documents, the financial documents, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, the shareholders vote to you know keep a water what his approval rating is every year. Um, and in 2010, it was 96%. And in t- 2011, it was 92%. In 2012, 90%. 2013, 77%. So because that was the first year after the Wii would launch. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So they vote again soon, and we'll see you know how that all shakes out for them as well. Yeah. Um, I think it's clear that Awada should be removed, um, and you got to kind of pay for, you know, your successes and your failures. He was there when there was great successes, of course, with. Wii and DS, but also was there during the R&D and greenlight process of the Wii U specifically and the launch of the Wii U, which is clearly ill-advised in some respect. Sure. Um, and someone has, someone has to pay for that, you know what I mean? Like things, you can't always pin everything on the CEO, but someone has to, you know, be the symbolic, like, you know, take... You know, Who falls on his sword. Yeah, fall, yeah, fall on yeah. the sword and be yeah. like, you know, I gotta walk away. And like, someone else has to try something different, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think uh, the... The, the, the obvious counter to that, right, is that Iwata still has a job because Iwata has been a visionary and was there during the time when they were making a lot of money. I mean, look, you know, he was president of Nintendo when the DS rolled out. Granted, that wasn't his idea. The famous story is that um, the prior president had told him that, like, hey, we Yamachi. should go back to, yeah. yes, Yamauchi had told him we should go back to two screens. And when Nintendo decided to do that, he was part of that, but he's also the guy who signed brain training. He's also the guy, and that was a huge win for them sure. as well. There have been a lot of successful wins under, under his belt, but unfortunately, Wii U is not one of them. And 3DS started out as a loss, and that quickly got turned around, right? They dropped the price on that. Mm-hmm. They brought out better software with like Mario Kart 7, with like um, Super Mario 3D Land. They made moves to try and entice people to come get that system in a time when you know, we're inundated with free games, right? Like, Nintendo isn't just up against Sony and Microsoft. Nintendo is also up against the Apples, the Googles, Google Play, Android shops. Like, Mm -hmm. 
they are mostly attracting Nintendo's audience with devices that cost $200 and that have hundreds of free games on them. And there has been a casual gaming gold rush for the most part for these past couple years because everyone's making free games or low-cost games, sure. excuse me, and Nintendo's not trying to do that. And I know that a lot of fingers should point at someone, and you're right, someone should sort of shoulder the blame for this, but I see it as he, I still think that First of all, can we you be saved? I honestly don't know because this is a much bigger battle. This is the year that we find out, right? Yeah. If it has Mario to be. Kart and Smash Brothers can't do it, then I don't think anything can. Right. Yeah. Right. And, well, and we've seen Mario Kart. I mean, Mario Kart looks amazing. Sure. That's going to move awesome. software. It has a competitively priced bundle. It could be a little cheaper. We've argued about this a lot, sure, Ryan sure. and I. But uh, you get overall, a free game with it. You get another free game, right? That's right. Yeah. I just I, I think my issue is that customers are still walking in a store and seeing. Something that's underpowered that still has a, a number three at the start of it and not a two or a one. Mm. You know, I mean, you need a one ninety nine or a two ninety nine, and yeah, they're going to lose money off of that. But you're going to make it back in software and peripherals in the long run. I think that like still going for that three hundred thirty dollar price range, you're not going to meet. I mean, these are such low expectations for a, a console to sell. It's mm. embarrassing. It is. Like, I, and, I, want, I want to see them turn around. So I enjoy the Wii U, and I, I, I think it has its merits, and it's got its, its reasons for being alongside my PS4 and my Xbox One and my PC and my 3DS and blah, 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 blah. But there's a problem there. Like, I've never seen someone actually, a company come out and give such low expectations, especially off of the, the success of the DS and the Wii last time around. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very strange to see, and I don't know if just pulling the plug on everything and putting out a new system is going to fix that. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's what a lot of people want. Yeah, that's a bad that's, idea. That's not going to do it for them. Because it sends, you can't do that because it sends a signal to the people that you're loyalists that bought your stuff that you don't actually believe in the product and so you're going to abandon it early to try to get everyone else. That's right. Right. And Nintendo right. already knew, you know, it, what's funny is that Nintendo had this blue ocean strategy, this, this very famous, like, we're going to get everyone and saturate the market kind of strategy and it worked, but like Jose said, like, they were beat to the punch by all the the smartphone and tablet well, manufacturers. Well, after they won, right. though. Right, but, but, but yeah. in terms of sustaining it, because those people still, you know, the difference between a console like the Wii or and, and, and a phone is that you're always on it or you're always playing with your tablet or you're always reading on it. And it's it's this an thing. essential device. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly, and, like, you know, the Wii did sell a lot of hardware. The Wii also sold a lot of software, but... Um, you know, there's a you know. I think that people read into the Wii's high numbers a little too much. The same way that they read into PlayStation 2's numbers too, because PlayStation 2 is at 150 million. But like, how many were 75 million of those DVD players? Like, yeah. you know, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, so like you can't read too too much into those numbers. But what you can read into is the, the historic trend of Nintendo's uh, hardware trending downward. And the only thing that stopped that was the Wii and the DS because they hit lightning at that particular point, lightning in the bottle with both of those devices. But the NES, you know, and that was a, you know, the SNES was a drop off from the NES. The N64 was a drop off from the SNES. The GameCube was a drop off from the from the N64. Then it went back up, and now it's going back down. It seems like it's within the historical, you know, within the historical accuracy, sure, ignoring sure. the outlier that was the Wii. But, but and the to, same thing happens with the handhelds. Yeah, but to be fair, I mean, in the case of those numbers dipping, I mean, the market situation. There's a lot more context to the, those situations than just the numbers themselves, right? For example, I mean, in the Famicom slash NES era, Nintendo single-handedly revived the video game console market and was pretty notorious for being really, you know, iron fist about it, where, you know, third-party publishers and their ability to make Atari games whenever the hell they felt like it was a problem that eventually flooded the market to an extent. That caused part of Atari's downfall. So what did Nintendo do? Really harsh practices where your game has to get approved through us and we're going to make sure that this very fragile market doesn't fall apart. 
Super Nintendo era, yes, Genesis moved the goalpost and said, you know what, you guys are on the 8-bit front, we're going to move this to 16-bit and combat you earlier. And I think Nintendo still pulled out of that one, but definitely yeah. competition has changed. Yeah. The one time I feel that it was a, com well, actually the two times I feel that it was a complete bumble somewhat on their part, N64 era sticking to cartridges yeah, absolutely totally. was a mistake. And in the GameCube era, they completely ignored the one thing that was slowly starting to grow on the other two platforms, which was online. Yeah. Nintendo was the one company that wasn't really interested in that space and wasn't trying to get people playing together. All the experiences were mostly local, have fun with friends on your couch, which has slowly kind of disappeared from everyone else's, you know, Right. Offerings. Yeah, it was, it was a very different climate. I mean, you talk about how well they sold back then. I mean, that was when people said, people called video games Nintendo. Mm -hmm. You know, people said, "Oh, I'm, my my son's in there playing the Nintendo. No matter what he was doing, right. he could be doing drugs. Yeah. Like he's in there." <laughs> like, um, like, what a win in your industry! Like, isn't yeah. that like the the best thing you can do? Like Kleenex, yeah. like Q-tips. Yeah, these are names of these are like these are brand names. They're not really the name of, of band aids, right? Yeah, exactly. that was, that's those are medical adhesive strips. Yeah, that's not hot in the street. No matter what business, <laughs> yeah, no matter right. what business you're in, like the Holy Grail must be like oh, we can just. We got to get everyone in the world to call all these things our thing. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. Um, and there was no competition, right? So of course they dominated. And once you started splitting all that up, then yeah, everybody got smaller and smaller pieces of it. So um, it's been strange to see that happen. That being said, at the same time, I really think that what happened with the Wii U was they took this sort of systemic psychological approach that was very different than the Wii. The Wii was about bringing people together. It was about getting people who don't play video games, bring them together in the same room with simplicity and elegance of handing them something that they could understand. The Wii U turned its back on all of that. It pushed everyone away. It gave one person one thing, the hunch over, that was riddled with buttons and had motion and all sorts of problems that were not there when you could just pick up a white remote, hand it to your grandmother and be like, let's bowl. All of a sudden, all those people were pushed away. It wasn't about we, it was about you. It was about yourself. We, you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that was a gamble. And they thought, you know, people are hunched over their devices. You know, this will get yeah. them. But well, they were already hunched they over different devices. They recognized that tablets were going to be a thing. Right. Yeah. Which I right. think they were trying to capitalize on. But. And they were also, also kind of recreating the DS in your living room. The sure. idea of having two screens. But they never really came up with a cool way to exchange yeah. data or experiences between them outside of a party setting. If you played something like Nintendo Land with friends, you had a blast. If you played other games for the most part, like maybe Game & Wario, even though that was sort of a weird standalone experience, if you played with other folks, you had a really good time. Sure. Um, so that's been pretty much their struggle is, hey, we have this tablet, we have these ideas, and it, it kind of, for the most part, stuck to Nintendo's philosophy of making hardware, which is, you know, use something that is not super expensive or super sort of costly for us to make, put that out to consumers, and then have a nice price padding in there so that we can make money off of each unit we sell rather than selling every system at a loss, which is what most hardware manufacturers do for the most part, right? They say, we'll make it up in games. Nintendo never really followed that approach. Now they have to because they have to put the cost down to entice people. But the bigger problem for them, too, is software. And it's always been software. It's been software for the past year where we're sitting here saying, Okay, Donkey Kong was the last hit in February. Yeah. The next game's not the next big game. Now let's talk about that. Big games. Not, you know, you have your NES remixes and they're great. Sure, sure, and yeah. you have your virtual console releases and they're fine, but you don't have a lot of software and you're not cranking them out fast enough. And that hurts. You know, yeah. you have people's right now that's sort of happening a little bit with Microsoft and, and Sony. A little bit. I mean, big game releases, there's sort of some space in between them. But um, that's typical of the first year cycle, right, for any hardware. Whereas yeah. this is year two. 
This is year two. Yeah, and, no. I, and I think what we Nintendo lacks, which I think is a huge mistake, was not only the obvious learning curve of and the, the growing pains of developing HD games, which is obviously something that Microsoft and Sony and their studios had already dealt with, and all sure. the parties already dealt with and knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's hard, and that and that takes time. And, and they've admitted that that's to, that's that yeah. came back and bit them in the ass because they weren't Did. ready for it. But I think it's more than that. I think it's that yeah. I don't think that PlayStation or Microsoft or, or Xbox have more exclusives. I don't mm-hmm. think that that's actually true in terms of AAA exclusives. They don't. Yeah. What they have are third parties that yeah. fill in all of the gaps that's and right. downloadable yeah. indie games that fill in all the gaps. And Wii U doesn't have that, and yeah. that hurts. You know, yeah. I was reading you know their financials, and actually Wii U has a really strong attach rate. It's over five. That's really really good for a system that's not selling well. That means that people that have have uh, the hardware want to buy games, yeah. and you need to give them the games, and they can, like you said, make up the cost of maybe dropping the price on the back end and mm-hmm. and save their financial situation. Um, you know that can be that can happen, but you need to provide them games. And you were talking about yeah, the, the NES and the SNES had great quality control with third parties and, and really strict relationships, the five cartridges a year kind of thing going on that they had with the NES. But they never ever ever came back and figured out the third party relationship. The last time that they had a really strong third party relationship was GameCube in the beginning of the GameCube era. Yeah. Nothing since then. Mm-hmm. And then they did in a Wii with a bunch of shovelware, but nothing anyone yeah. really wanted. And they, you, you have to have that. You have to engender that, or no one's going to want to, like, you know, really buy your system because what are they going to play in between Mario? You know, sure, like yeah, everyone wants fair. to play Mario. Mario is excellent. You know, Mario's sales on Wii U are actually extraordinary. Yeah. Um, yeah, the attach rate there is huge. Is only like which Mario? Uh, uh, 3D World. The, 3D, or no, no, the the, the oh, one New before. Super Mario yeah, Brothers U. Yeah, okay, yeah. just checking. Yeah, New Super Mario Brothers U. Like I think only twenty percent or so of people that own a Wii U don't own that game. Yeah. Right? That shows that people are actually like uh, you know attached to the, this first party. And, well, and they, they bought really... it with a bundle with that coming in, and I'm sure, sure that that's part of it because that became a bundle later. So I, I mean, I honestly context. think it's too late to 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 mend the bridges with all the third parties, and I think the third parties aren't interested in creating new experiences on last gen hardware. No, not at all. And I think that they're not especially interested in doing that if Nintendo themselves are hesitant to lead by example and say this is what this can do. They haven't done that. I mean, well, we talked they, about they that. They kind of right? are with Mario. I mean, if with you're Mario Kart, about pure graphical quality. I think with Mario Kart, they are proving that. Jose, that games can look. We know good. Nintendo knows how to make pretty games. We yeah. know that third parties know how to make pretty games. That's right. We don't know that Nintendo knows what to do with this giant thing in my hand. Okay, yeah. but that's Besides a completely a different problem. problem but I no, that's, agree that's with you. the whole. Like, why that's a would huge I? Problem. That's a huge problem. And it's the same thing with the 3DS, where you know, for years the DS was about dual screens. Mm-hmm. 3DS, no one cares about the bottom screen. It's mostly just a big picture of a mushroom now. Or a pause yeah, button. Sure. Well, especially you know, Donkey Kong Country is one of their flagship titles, right? Yeah. Uh, what's it got on the bottom screen? Nothing. It's no, blank. for sure. And there was a time where, when, for example, in the D- early of the DS, early part of the DS's life, publishers and developers were trying to fit every little gimmick they could, from mic blowing to tapping the screen to all right. this other stuff. And that slowly went away because Nintendo said, "Just make a great game, and sure. we'll figure it out." I think you're right, and obviously, price is the problem. The console costs a lot. Yes, the games are a problem, but I still think that. Calling the, the, the hardware last-gen, which maybe from a technical perspective, if you want to go there, absolutely, you can make that claim. But we're, half of this, more than half of this room is playing Mario Kart. Do you guys think that game does not look good by no, today's standards? That's, that's, that's not even a question. Absolutely that's, amazing. that's not in question. So it's possible to make games that look really good on there. They just need to entice people to make games. And they also need to churn out games that they're making faster. If well, they Smash have, Brothers slips into 2015, that is bad for business right now. Bad for business is, is a third-party developer saying that this console does not support our vision. 
which is what happens when they go, here's our new Batman game. It, happened with it Batman. won't run here. Here's the new Tomb Raider. It won't run here. Like You're running into all these walls constantly, and no third-party developer is going to say, let's scale back all of our assets and our vision. Let's make the worst version of this game possible and yeah. put it on the console with the, the smallest install sure, base. Sure, but that like, ties difficult. into what we were talking about with GameCube a minute ago, where Nintendo has kind of ignored... Uh, for a while ignored the way online was headed and the way sort of games were getting made. So third parties were kind of looking at them like, well, if we're making a game that's a standard for the other two platforms and yours is different, how does that work? Sure. I completely agree. That was a lesson I think that definitely got learned during the GameCube era. Yeah. And so what does Nintendo need to do? They need to find another way to entice people to make either unique games for their system and with the rising cost of development, that's going to be really hard, right? What is, how much does it cost to make a game now? It's insane. I mean, 20 I, I, bucks. It, it, $500 million for yeah. Destiny. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it, Altano's right just in the sense that, you know, I agree. Like, I, I've, I've called Wii U last gen, in the, in, and not in the literal sense, but just in the sense it's, it's a PlayStation 3. You yeah. know, like, maybe a little bit more so, powerful than a PlayStation 3. And, and, yeah, Mario Kart does look beautiful. It's a gorgeous game, but, uh-huh. you know, Mar- like, but Wii U couldn't run Drive Club or Forza, right? Like, like... You can't take like a Batman game, like you said, fall yeah. like a, a open world Fallout would never run on Wii U or mm-hmm. next gen, like, and that's a problem. Like when when and that comes back to a lot. I mean, that's what we were talking about in the beginning. Sure. Like, you sure. have to have the vision to say like, hey guys, like wait a minute, we need to make a powerful system that we can entice third parties to easily port their games to us because they're going to port between these uh, assumed next PlayStation and Xbox consoles, and we need to say like port to us too, and ma- let's make it easy for you. And yeah, it's like, you know, there's no reason with an install base to have to make go through the trouble of doing that. No one's buying third-party games there anyway because they're all, you know, or many of them are kind of half-assed or, you know, like with Mass Effect 3 where it's like, where are the other two? Or, yeah. um, or even Splinter Cell. Like, yeah. I, I mean, you told me that was sort of competent with, with all the other versions. I enjoyed it, yeah. Seen. Yeah, sure. But overall, like, we don't hear that sold well. We didn't hear right, but a lot of games that sold was, well. That was before the PS4 and the Xbox One launched. Like, that was a game that was the same on all three. There was a year there where you could play games on 360, PS3, and Wii U, mm-hmm. and a lot of them were very similar. Wii U ones obviously lacked the online infrastructure that the other two had. But then the PS4 and the Xbox One came out, and that conversation stopped. Yeah, yeah and, and, that's, and, that's, and I really do think that's a, 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 you know, we can, the Wii U is going to have great games. Nintendo clearly doesn't believe in it, based on their numbers. Mm-hmm. They don't even think that Mario Kart and Smash Brothers are going to move more than 3 million hardware units. Well, yeah, that's, and that, by the way, those are shipped numbers. The 6.2 million is shipped. That is not sold. So they probably have, they probably have problems in their pipeline now because they're not mm-hmm. manufacturing. This is, and, and this is going to start chipping into their famous war chest that everyone talks about. They're going to start, you start losing lots of money when you have you know, manufacturing issues and when people aren't buying your products and all those kinds mm-hmm. of things. You know, you got to be careful, and that's so, that's got to fall on someone. You so know? If they don't, but if they don't believe in the Wii U, what do they believe in? What's what's their next move? What's the plan? I think they make. I keep saying, and I've saying, I've been saying for years, they make a hybrid handheld that can connect to your TV. I mean, they, ha- they and it has to be powerful, and they have to and they have to do that. You know, like even their handheld trajectory has been down. DS again is an is an aberration compared to Game Boy, down to Game Boy yeah, Advance, and up to three. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. Yeah, but DS didn't have the the smartphone competition that 3DS has to do. Right, and I mean, DS is also fair. arguably my, my favorite handheld mm-hmm. of all time. But you know, but then 3DS is in totally respectable territory, but not going to be obviously. You know, yeah. and so it's very good, but not not as good, right? So the trajectory is all the same, and frankly, it's the same across everything. PlayStation Four, I don't believe is going to sell as well as PlayStation Three did. You know, yeah. um, which didn't sell as well as PlayStation Two did. So, like, this is everyone's PSP and Vita. It's yeah. the same thing. Yeah, totally. You know? This but, is where uh, we are now. Yeah. Um, and I, I agree with what you're saying about this this uh, this hybrid device that we've all been asking for for years. Because I really feel that the, the number one reason for it is that they're splitting all their views right now. Like right now, if I want to play Mario Kart, but all I have is a 3DS, I can't. If I have a uh, 
a 3DS, and, or, or if I have a Wii U and I want to play uh, Link Between Worlds, I can't. I mean, as a Nintendo fan, you've been required for the last 10 years to own two devices that you're constantly jumping back and forth on. And yeah. they expect people to do that. But they also expect that their audience is young, and a lot sure. of people can't afford both of those worlds. So I think that you you ditch the arms race, you get out of the try to making the best looking things ever, you make one thing that you can take on the road and you can plug in your TV that has the lineage of all Nintendo games on it, classic, and then you have all the new stuff that's coming out. You, you pick a line where you stop, you say goodbye to third parties forever, <laughs> and you go, this is the Nintendo box. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, but a, but a hybrid, I mean, I definitely like the idea that folks keep tossing around about this hybrid device, and it would be completely different from the other two, which at, at the end of the day, that's what they need, right? Mm -hmm. And their portable business has always done better, at least for the past three generations, than their home business. Yeah. Um, however, what is that thing going to cost? I mean, if this thing has to output to a 1080p, 55-inch television, it's going to need innards that are serious business. And one of the things that Nerds. is part of Nintendo's, Nintendo's philosophy, I know, didn't I just say that? <laughs> one really integral piece of Nintendo's philosophy since the beginning, since the NES, Famicom, and Game Boy has been that the components that make this thing cannot be super crazy expensive. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, we don't want to drop a bombshell of a, of, of a product on people who are not going to buy it. I mean, you look at... Over the years, the competition to the Game Boy, there have been better handheld devices with color screens and backlights, and yet who won? It was always Game Boy because it was a cheaper-priced alternative right. that had a really good software lineup of, of games. Sure. And it is all about install base, and they need a way to, to, to kind of entice and push people to that, and they haven't found it. And it's really unfortunate because it sucks. <laughs> you know, like, honestly... <laughs> Nintendo, we expect better from Nintendo, and that's the that's know, the disappointing thing is that we, we we need better from them, and that means they need new leadership and they need new vision, you know. And I think the new vision should be we need we need powerful hardware, and, we, and you're going to spend, you know, you're going to spend money. If you want to play Nintendo games, yeah. we're going to give you something that makes you feel like you're playing, you know, a next gen game for once. You know what I mean? Because like we've always, like you said, like you know. Is even like with the Wii next to the PlayStation 3 or the Xbox 360, it was like when I'd go play Super Mario Galaxy, it was like, this is an amazing game. You guys can push this hardware. Like you were saying with Mario Kart, like you guys can push this hardware. Yeah. Um, so imagine what they can do with current gen, hard, like real hardware. You know what I mean? And like mm -hmm. to just say, like, you know, maybe we have to slant a little older. Maybe we have to, you know, go a little more boutique. Maybe we have to, you know, do things differently because what we're doing right now is obviously not working, you know? Right. And, like, someone needs to just say that. They, you know, Nintendo has things the other, their competitors don't, which is massive catalog of lovable IP. And, like, and people will go to play them on pieces of hardware that they believe in. No one believes in the Wii U, you know? Like, because, because, and that's just the fact of the matter because it just seemed like it, it didn't belong, right? Like, it was like the Dreamcast kind of, and I love the Dreamcast. I was there nine nine ninety nine when it came out. I bought it, but <laughs> it was kind of like this, this halfway kind of step, and everyone's like, no, like, we, already, yeah. we know that on the horizon, like, the other two guys are going to have something better, and, and, yeah. and they did, you know? Yeah. And, like, so you, like, they need to, it, it was, it, it, the, the whole lot of mentality of, like, retreating from E3 last year. No, fight. You have to fight. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. show why you believe in your products and stuff like that. You need someone with that mentality because sure. this passive stuff is not working for them. This sticking by Wii U and not getting rid of the tablet, which they absolutely should. Just get rid of the tablet. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, 
it'll make the console cheaper. And you know, if if you believe in the whole like price point and, and install base, you have to do things like that. You need sure. someone to make typical decisions. But yeah, but you, you have to gamepad's such an important part of that strategy, man. I think they just have to make it smaller and make it cheaper. Like I don't know if you have to get rid of it. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I think. I. I. I think it's the. It's the least. That's the majority part. of the way you play with you. It is. All you tell me is I play with you while you know my girlfriend's doing X, Y, and Z. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's great, and I love doing that. But if I had to play it like my PS4. I'd bite the bullet and find time for it because it's just like you know. I feel like if that's what's if that's what's keeping me there, but it's keeping millions of people away, then let's bring the millions of people in. Mm, yeah. You know, yeah, well, make it make it the think, other way. Like with Vita, yeah. you know, very few people own Vitas, eight or nine million people. But if you want to play Vita like you play your Wii U on the tablet, then go buy the Vita. You should they should just do the same thing with the tablet. Sure, sure. Like it's just it there. And yeah, make it optional. Yeah, yeah totally. No, I, I can see that. Um, there were some of us that say, oh, clearly, I think one of the lessons here too that we're dancing around, but we haven't said yet is that Nintendo bet on last-gen hardware and lost. They thought adoption for these next-gen systems They've was going to be a lot slower. Two generations in a row. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they did. Last generation, they did the same thing, and they won, right? Because yeah. it was not just, it was a very simple concept, and flat screens were a crazy amount of money. So it was like, well, who's going to buy you know, these consoles when they cost $600 and $500 to get? And it was a safe bet, and they became the second console for the home. At $300, they can't do that. Nope. Well, I would not want to be Iwata right now. Going to work every day for him must be very unpleasant. Yeah, I mean, I can't, sure. I mean, mm-hmm. I can't, I mean, honestly, like, I, you know, I can't imagine he lasts. Like, there, there's no, like, I, you have to, you have to make a change, you know? You have to have some, like, before you start the next R&D cycle, which I'm sure they're already really in, of, like, the next, whatever they're going to release, mm-hmm. you need someone there from the beginning that's saying, like, this is my vision, I'm going to take responsibility yeah. for it. Um, well, they are talking a little bit like that. I mean, um, I want to say in January, whenever their last big meeting was, uh, one of the takeaways, too, was that we're bringing together our, our sort of our handheld team and our home console team. Like, we're going to have them talking. Because right now, in order for a game to exist on 3DS and on Wii U, it, it exists in two completely different worlds because the architectures are so different, according to them. So something that would kind of... When they look at tablets and you see how an iPad is no different than an iPhone, they're looking at that and going, hmm, we need to be able to do something like that. So maybe this whole strategy and this whole thing that folks are hoping for, the hybrid device is real, I hope it's real, I hope so but it too. can't be super expensive, and it can't be something that's going to be an inconvenience, because I think as much as, I, I love my Vita, and it's technologically capable, and games look absolutely amazing on it, but why are people not buying that when it is such a high-tech powered device, right? What is the reason for that? Games, I think the lack of games on that. Yeah, and yeah. I, so same thing? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, think it's, I think it's games, and the price is more reasonable. I mean, Vita's, Vita's a, a, a failure, you know? Like, and, and, that, and like, I, I like it, but it's, it's not what it could have been, and, and that's, that is what it is, you know? Sure. Like, but I, I think you're, you're right in the sense that like, 3D, like 3DS and Wii U should have been designed with each other in mind, just like yeah. the Vita was designed with the PS4 in mind. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, so at least they can talk to each other. The fact that you have to like rebuy games, and there's no... They're not networked together. There's no, like, you don't have a username that you can go onto a store and, yeah, buy, but the, and pull the PS4 is barely talking to that thing. <laughs> it, talks to it, it talks to it fine. I play, I play games on my Vita. No one's listening to that conversation. Yeah, but, but it's important to people but, to say, like, if yeah. I play a game on Vita, I can go and play it on, you know, most of these games are cross by And that's cross-state. great, and that's something they need to adjust. That's what I'm saying. That's like, something they, need, they absolutely need to adjust so I don't keep buying Mario. That's, on what, that's exactly what I'm year. saying. Yeah, like, when you but, buy a game on Vita and it's yeah. on PS4, it, you get them for free almost every time. You know, yeah, that's a sweet deal. And not even the off screen stuff, that's one thing, but I'm just saying like you can that's that's next gen thinking you know it is, like, it is but all the sales in the right. world for the ps4 right now are not helping the vita so there's there's a conversation block well it, it, it's, a, it's a bit of a different conversation there right i mean because you're dealing with a device that costs a lot more as an accessory versus like again having these two like wii u and a tablet together but again 
they still haven't figured out the tablet. They bet on Lashin technology. Like, we're hoping to see a win here. E3 could have some really cool announcements. That's the thing, yeah. E3 is just around the corner. Yeah. yeah. Even today's, Pokemon, yeah, even today's yeah. Pokemon announcement was kind of a smokescreen, right? It's like, hey, our, our sure. forecast is low. By the way, Pokemon. Well, and then everyone stepped yeah. back, too. Pokemon's the best-selling game on 3DS, so. Yeah. Yeah. We will continue following Nintendo's fortunes or misfortunes here on IGN GameScoop, obviously. But let's end, something, let's end on something a little bit lighter okay. today. So you guys play a game called Shaq-Fu. Yes. yes. Back wow. in the day. Yeah. 1994, a game called Shaq-Fu was released on the Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis. It's a 2D fighting game starring Shaquille O'Neal. Yep. Where he, he was a martial artist. Yeah, and there are pose where he's like this like on yeah, the cover yeah, or something. That's, really yeah. bad. that's a bad game. Right? It is a really bad game. That's why they're making another one. Hey! Yeah. You, you guys hear about this? They're, yep. They're, yep. they're making another Shaq-Fu. Thanks, Kickstarter. Shaq-Fu, A Legend Reborn. This is actually Indiegogo. Oh, really? Yeah, not, not Kickstarter, but it is another crowdfunding. Yep. It has earned $474,000 against what it was asking, which was only four fifty. So it exceeded its goal. <laughs> this game is going to be made. We actually have the trailer. Wow. We have the trailer here for the new game. Is this queued up yet? Can we watch this? I don't wear tights or a cape, but I leap, dodge, and I sure as hell fly. I'm the big daddy, the big Aristotle, and I'm big time. Some ancient freaks got delusions of grandeur. Looks like Shaq Daddy's gonna have to whoop some ass. Shaq Fu, a legend reborn, is a game you can play soon on your PS4, PS3, Wii U. There you go. Xbox One, and Xbox 360, and PC. Nice. Solve that third-party support problem. Yeah, there, yeah, you go. there it is. By the way, just real quick, I. I I have such a vivid memory of that game on Super Nintendo. My, I was at my buddy's house, and his <laughs> older brother was going to the Toys R Us to pick up a game. He wanted to get like a, like a sports game. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were just waiting. We thought he was going to get like Madden or something like that. And uh, he, came, he came back, and he came back with Shaq Fu. Here it is. And, uh, and we were, I, I remember my friend flipped out <laughs> on him. We played it for like 10 minutes. We, like, he like lost his mind. I'll never, I'll never forget that as long as I live. Oh my God. It was a bad game. But I was, like, the animation's better than I remember. The animation's yeah. actually yeah. pretty good for the, wow. for the day. Uh, the game received a D from Entertainment Weekly. I did not know Entertainment Weekly was <laughs> games in 1994. That's oh, wow. an amazing footnote, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty good. So yeah, it's, it was a success on Indiegogo. It's going to happen. Uh, the description says the developer is Big D's Productions. Big D's like Big D's, D's nuts. D E E Z. Oh, yeah. All right, yeah, right there. Got he it. Said, <laughs> the description reads: We are Big D's Productions, a team of video game industry professionals that comes from legendary projects like Halo, Street Fighter, Final Fantasy, Alan Wake, Spec Ops: The Line, Battlefield, Killzone, what? Max Payne, Duke Nukem, and many other huge franchises. What, how many? How big is this team? I want to point out: I was <laughs> unable to find an official website for Big D's Productions. I, you so think all that's right. real? No, I, that can't be. Like, who who on that team worked on Final Fantasy? I they, they, they went to Japan and got, and got uh, there's like there's a guy from the Japanese dev scene on this on that wanted to come to West to make. Yeah, what was this? This is like Ocean's people? Eleven. They're going around the world and finding like, this crack team of people. We got Bill you Clinton. Were, yeah. we got, you were the program. Chester around. Cheetah helped us with this game. Sure, unbelievable. I can't believe this is real. Are you, are you surprised that this was funded? Four hundred seventy-four thousand dollars. That's crazy. It's notorious. That game's notorious.ly Bad. So I'm actually right? not surprised. I think people, well, people are glutton for punishments. I guess maybe uh, they just wanted to like they liked the joke of it. They wanted to. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm, I'm picturing some guy gets up in like the, the dev meeting for Halo 5 and he's like, hey guys, 
I have an announcement to make. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. No, wow, where are you going? I have to go make Shaq Fu a legend <sighs> reborn. With guys that uh, were the I, I want to know how they got Shaq's blessing for this. Like he's just, working on it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's his, his team. Another. This is all a lie. Oh, listen, listen to this. Listen to this. He's so, coding. Like Kickstarter, there's like there's pledge tiers, and you can get you get perks for if you pledge a certain amount. People that pledged $150, they get to mocap their own signature move to be in the game. Ten out Anything? Of, ten out of ten of those sold out. So the, those wow. those people actually bought that. For $250, you get a personalized voicemail from Shaquille O'Neal. Wow. It, it can only be a voicemail, though. He will not talk to you on the phone. You have to let your phone ring. And then, <laughs> and, and then, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he gives you the message. No, I do not answer this phone. <laughs> I have a feeling he emails you the message, but I like your version. <laughs> Where you're sitting there like, Shaq's calling. I got, I got to pick up the phone. Oh, I can't. <laughs> For $500, Shaq will follow you on Instagram. Oh. <sighs> Okay. Well, that sucks for Shaq. But for $600, he'll follow you on Twitter and give you a shout-out. That's funny. Oh, wow. Shaq has 7 million followers. Wow. Now, for $35,000, this someone bought, bought this, too. Wait, did, is that where, how the tears jumped from 700? There's, there's more in there. Okay. I, I couldn't read all of them. They're, they're That's all a slippery crazy. slope. <laughs> One of them is like, you get sheet music of the musical score. One of the composer will give you <laughs> piano <laughs> lessons. This is, these are real things. Yeah, he wow. worked on uh, Secret of Mana. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> for $35,000, Shaq will DJ your party. What? And someone bought it. I, we need an Indiegogo for this Indiegogo. I, I, I want that tier. We should That's have him crazy. DJ here at yeah. IGN. We need whoever got that to like write into IGN and let us know yes. so we can crash the party. That'd be pretty amazing. Who who paid thirty five thousand mm. dollars? That's cra- that's it's crazy, right? That's, I mean, what is, what is like Skrillex made? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know Shaq had chops as a DJ, so I wasn't yeah, that too. Of Wait, yeah. didn't he have an album? I'm trying he's to think. He's been a, he has he's that was a rap been a rapper, album, right? Yeah. He's like yeah, a, at least yeah. a, a couple rap albums. He did a song with 311. Yeah, yeah. Shaq has a laptop. <laughs> Shaq has a laptop and an iTunes gift card now. That's probably what you get. <laughs> anyway, I love this story. That's I think pretty it's amazing. amazing story. I think you're right. Now, Colin, mm. you're not a fan of crowdfunding. No. Why is that? Oh dear. <laughs> um, I think that you know, for products, especially from not so much these guys. We were talking on podcast beyond this week about uh, um, harmonics uh, mm-hmm. and uh, amplitude. And amplitude. Um, and I was talking about like I feel like it's kind of predatory in a way to do, for big studios like this to do this to people because they are basically foregoing like the usual route of getting capital from a publisher or from mm-hmm. an, an angel investor or something like that. And they're saying like, give us your money and we'll give you the game, but then we make all the profits and we take none of the risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's wrong. I've been saying that for years. You know, so I, I just think I think it's I think it's messed up. Did you hear the first uh, consumer protection lawsuit over yes. crowdfunding yeah. Kickstarter? Is, is, yeah, I saw it in Washington. Yeah, right? taking place yeah. in Washington. Uh, the suit alleges that an Ed Nash and his company Altius Management failed to make good on a successful Kickstarter campaign for Asylum Playing Cards. They were asking for $15,000. They raised $25,000. They collected the money and then didn't deliver the cards or any of the various backer rewards. Shocking. Yeah, that was a horrible story, by the way, because like constantly the guy would just put up these long things. It was just like, hey, you know, things are really bad. And people were like, I don't care. Just give me the cards. Like, mm-hmm. it's yeah. <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous. I think it's a way around... A couple of years ago, the whole Humble Bundle thing happened, right? And it, and it blew up really big. And I remember some big publishers wanted to get in on that. And everyone was like, like no, you're not, not humble. Yeah, that's not... You're billionaires. what this is all about. But now Kickstarter, they can kind of just be like, oh, we're doing a Kickstarter, don't worry. It's one of our smaller teams and blah, blah, blah. Like, I mean, doesn't Harmonix have all that money from... 
making billions of dollars for years. Yeah, I mean, that, um, that's the thing that I'm just distressed about. I think it's cool for little guys to do it, and I like that it tests the market and see, you know, kind of prods the market a little bit and see, you know, mm-hmm. hey, well, you're interested in this, this niche product. I just, you know, we were on Podcast Beyond, we were talking specifically about Oculus, and, like, I think that what happened with Oculus and Facebook is, like, me- like really messed up. Yeah. You know, like, I... I Kickstarter... And then they got bought by for two billion dollars. Yeah, what yeah. probably happened? Well, I mean, the, the order of operations with that is that you know they had you know probably a small angel investor that gave them a few million dollars, right? And then they needed to make units, so they went to Kickstarter and got you know whatever they got twenty million or whatever. The, I don't know what it was, and that attracted two rounds of capital investment from venture capitalists. So already, like they were like we aren't going to take any risk and you guys can prove that you want it and then we'll use that to get more money from capital so that will now own yeah. part of the business. Yeah. Then we are going to sell it to Facebook you know, and make all of that money and it all started on Kickstarter with people being like, sure. you know, I want, I'm just interested and I just think that's messed up. I, I like the idea of selling equity in something instead of selling the product itself before it's out. It's sure. not a grant, it's not, people are like, it's just a pre-order and stuff like that. I'm like, if that's the, you know, if that's the way you feel, that's fine. I'd rather big publishers take the risk um, and say, you know, we, we, we're going to fund this game, and then if, if the game's bad, then they lose. Yeah. yeah. You, you don't lose. Sure. Yeah. I, I think, though, Colin, I th- one of the problems with that, though, is that big publishers, like, are really quick to shoot down ideas. Like, take a... Take the last... Um, oh, God, they're right down the street. Uh, developer... Tim Schafer's company. Double oh, Fine. Double Fine. Yeah. yeah. Take Double Fine and how, like, point-and-click adventure is, like, a, has gone the way of the Dodo for the most part, right? And that game... Granted, it did change They're from what it was originally supposed to be. Yes, mm-hmm. Broken Age was supposed to be, you know, sort of, you know, a complete game, and instead it got changed down to episodic because of the scope and scale had changed. But regardless, that genre is not in vogue, and a publish a lot of publishers probably slapped that idea down before Kickstarter was able to come to that project's rescue. And something like Amplitude, like I'm just surprised they went to Kickstarter because we didn't we get a form of Amplitude in the last Rock Band. What was the last Rock name? Band Blitz? Yeah, yeah, Rock Band Blitz yeah. was sort of Amplitude esque in a way. No idea how well that sold though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and that's the thing. You're right. I mean, it, it, it's a good test bed. It's a good. It's an interesting way to see if people want games. All I'm saying is that you kind of have to ask yourself if. You know, even it, you don't have to have a publisher. You just need capital. You don't need a publisher to publish indie games and, and downloadable games on, on the consoles. You know, like, you know, not anymore anyway. And so, like, it often I often ask myself questions about just the general market about like if you can't raise fifty thousand dollars to to make a game, like, does the market want your game? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and like, and yeah, maybe a niche wants your game, and that's fine. But yeah. then, like, it it, it it circumvents the whole system of like you know. Investment and risk. Everyone always says, you know, it's free market capitalism, and I always, you know, I, I talked about this on Beyond, and I'm like, no, it's not. It's not capitalism. It's free market, for sure. But that's not. That's actually inherently not capitalism. So, um, you know, it, I just feel like it, the system's destructive. I feel like it's going to implode in on itself in the next couple of years because um, people are becoming privy to this thing. That the whole backlash with Oculus was extraordinary, and like, and people were mad for the reasons that I've been mad for a long time about it. Yeah. You know, and. and it only took that much money for people to, to pay you know to pay attention to it, but I think even small amounts of money. If 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 if, if an indie developer is like, we need a hundred thousand dollars, I think the cooler way to do it would be like, listen, we're going to sell fifty percent of this comp- of this game's equity at ten thousand dollars a share, and you can own five percent per ten thousand dollars. So, but help us out, and you'll get a copy of the game and all that too. But you'll get some money back if it works if you sure. believe in it. I think that that's that is the future of crowdfunding. You know what I mean? Not you know this whole thing where it's like, give us your money and. And here's yeah. a, some art. So, and you until know, Facebook yeah, buys yeah. us. Yeah. The thing sure. that I do like about it is that it makes things possible that just yeah. wouldn't be possible under uh, traditional uh, publisher like you know models. For instance, a game, a beloved game from my childhood, Shadowgate. 
that I played on the NES has a reimagining of that game has been funded on Kickstarter and it's actually going to happen now. It's like mm-hmm. coming out this year. We have a trailer for it here that if uh, Rancy can queue it up. But Shadowgate was a, pl- a game I played on the NES, another point and click adventure game that I loved. It's one of my favorite games of all time. You have good taste. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, it is totally cool. And I also want to be clear that two, my most anticipated game right now is Shovel Knight, and that is yeah. that is a yeah. that is a Kickstarter yeah. game. Also, Mighty I'm, Number Nine. You yeah, and Mighty Number Nine. Nine. I'm I'm super convinced Mighty Number Nine. A publisher would have picked Mighty Number Nine up. Um, okay. But uh, and maybe even Shovel Knight if you found it. But but what I'm saying is like you know, so I like the games that come off this thing, but I will refuse to give them any money. I will that's gladly kind of, buy your game. That's kind of my feeling too. I've never uh, funded anything on Kickstarter. I didn't fund Shadowgate, but I will totally buy it. Yeah, I'll be happy, happy to give you money yeah. when I get the product. Yep. But I, I, I appreciate the fact that that probably wouldn't even be possible for me if it hadn't been funded through Kickstarter. Totally. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I totally understand that I am in the minority and how I feel about that, but um, it's the way I feel nonetheless. So. We're just about out of time here. Before we go, let's check in with the listeners really quick. Listeners, remember you can always reach us at the email address, gamescoop at IGN.com, just like Drew Ritchie did. And Drew Ritchie is really excited about Mario Kart Ocho. Oh, there we so, go. The Ocho. He says, my most formative years were spent playing Mario Kart on the N64. I played it so much that I feel it held me back in other areas of my life. <laughs> I have no regrets. <laughs> now, the last eight years of my life have been spent in a torrid love affair with my PS3. But I'm afraid all good things must end, and I have moved on to a younger, slimmer PS4. My PS4 and I are still in the honeymoon phase of our relationship, so I feel a bit guilty that my eyes are straying towards the new Mario Kart 8. It's like a love for my past has presented herself to me with a new nose job and silky hair. <laughs> I'm seriously considering buying a Wii U bundle solely to play Mario Kart 8. My question is, which controller do you plan on using while playing Mario Kart 8? It's a really well-written email. Yeah. yeah. Drew Rich. It was, I, Very nice, Drew. it was like a romance novel by the yeah. end there. Yeah. What, so what are our options? Gamepad, Wii Mo, Nunchuck, yeah, Wii Pro, Wii controller. Pro Controller. Old Pro Controller. Yeah. Yeah, the one that was tethered to the, to the Wii remote. Um, yeah, I, I, I like the, um, the new Pro Controller is my, yeah. is my way to play that game. Mm-hmm. That it's, one's fine. Yeah. I was playing with the gamepad or the, yeah, that works too. the other day too, and that was fine too. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, um, my, my way to play right now is, and most of you guys may laugh at this, it is a Wii Remote and Nunchuck. And the it. reason, yeah. I know, but the reason, so I like to get comfortable when I play games and just kind of <laughs> sit however I want, first of all. Second of all is because the look back button is on the C button, the small circle mm-hmm. button on the left Nunchuck. And that is the easiest way to peek back. On the other control setups, you have to hold A for acceleration and then just like lean over for the X, which Mario players, which everyone here is, yeah, are like used running to and jumping stuff like that, time. like running and jumping. Yeah. But I'm not doing that in Mario Kart. Like I want to be able to peek back quickly and then go do You're what paranoid. I'm doing. paranoid. You have to be. There's turtle shells <laughs> flying <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that game is it's awesome. We've all been playing it in the office yeah. a bunch, yeah. and it can't it's, get enough of it. Yeah, it's no, really you good. won't be disappointed, Drew. Trust me, that game's looking serious. When does the, do we, we haven't reviewed it yet, right? No, no. Uh, review will be up on the site middle of May. Yeah. Cool. It's out on the... 30th. 30th. Yes. Yeah. So there's a little bit of a wait. Sorry, Drew. Mm-hmm. Memorial Day weekend, you can be playing mm-hmm. Mario Kart Perfect. Ocho. I like that. Let's make that a thing. <laughs> Word. All right, I think that's all the scoops we have for you this week. Thank you, Colin. Thank you. Thank you, Jose. Thank you, Brian. My name is Damon. Remember, you can always reach us at the email address, gamescoop at IGN.com. And we're out.